Good evening, everybody. If you would, let's take our Bibles. We're going to continue our series in the book of Judges, if you would. We're going to be in Judges chapter 12 this evening, Judges chapter number 12. Again, it's good to see you here. Hope you're having a good week. And looking forward to continuing our series here. We're off last week because of Vacation Bible School, and there were just kids everywhere. It's really good. I think on our high night, we had about 78, which is awesome. And, uh, Looking forward to the teen retreat coming up this weekend, and then that junior retreat the following weekend. So we just pretty much got the mentality, stay busy as much as you can. (laughs) But I think it's a good thing when you keep kids in the Word of God, in the right kind of atmosphere. And so anyhow, glad to have you here. And let's let's continue looking in Judges. And I, I tell you, I really struggled. I almost skipped over this particular part with this judge, Jephthah, uh, last time we met two weeks ago. Uh, we looked at Jephthah and how God used him as a very unusual judge or deliverer, if you would. And I almost finished him and uh, just went right to Samson because I really like Samson. But, but I couldn't get past these verses here. And we're going to be in Judges chapter number 12 and uh, begin to read verses 1 through 7. Just a reminder, at this part of the passage, Jephthah's already... Uh, delivered the children of Israel, he and the army, out of the Ammonites. And so it's it's been a wonderful blessing, a wonderful thing that's been done. He's already made the vow, uh, if you remember his sacrifice, uh, that he said that he would make of whatever came out of his tent. And, you know, so you got a lot of ups and downs emotionally. We'll go over that again here in just a moment. But uh, let's read the passage here. Verse number 1 says, And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together, and went northward, and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thy house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that you delivered me not... I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore, then, are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Verse 4, Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim, because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Verse 5, And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto them, Art thou an Ephraimite? And if he said, Nay, they said unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites, 40 and 2,000. Interesting story there, interesting account. Uh, i tell you, we're going to look in a moment about saying Shibboleth and Sibboleth, and I struggle myself, but we'll say even something as small as pronunciation was something that was a big role in this passage. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you this evening. We thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise. And Father, I pray as we handle your word this evening, Lord, that you would speak through your word. Forgive us of our sins and where we fail you. And Lord, I pray you would for the next few moments, whatever anxiety, whatever conflict, whatever uh, we might be dreading coming up, Lord, in 
what it has been our week or what will be our week. I pray, Lord, that you would just rule and overrule that. And Lord, I pray even as the psalmist prayed, I lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Lord, bless us, I pray, as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're looking at Jephthah the judge. And as we mentioned, just to give you a review a little bit, in case you weren't here two weeks ago, or in case you were here and you might have forgotten, Jephthah was not exactly the top choice for a judge. Children of Israel have once again been underneath the oppression of the Ammonites. And as the cycle of sin goes in Israel, you have how God gave them peace. And they have peace and they follow God. But then because of not driving out the inhabitants of the land at, during the time of Joshua and after Joshua died, it says there rose a generation who knew not the Lord. So they go from peace to uh, falling into sin and idolatry worship to where God delivers them to be captive to those people they didn't drive out. And they were under this captivity for many years. Some of them, 20 years, they've been underneath captivity. But it says they finally would cry out to the Lord. And what's interesting is this. God always delivered them in the moment that they cried out to Him. But some of them, it took up to 20 years before they finally, in the midst of their slavery and their captivity, said, you know what, we're going to turn to the true God. kind of gives us a good picture of ourselves. We will continue in sin so long until finally... We get weary of our sin and cry out to God. Then God would raise up a deliverer. And then while the deliverer was alive, that they would have peace and, and have victory there. Jephthah was one of those guys. He was a son of Gilead. But he wasn't just a son of Gilead. He was a son of an adulterous relationship. Gilead uh, went into a harlot and, and she became expecting and delivered a child. And that son's name was Jephthah. And because of that, you can imagine the turmoil that that was. That Gilead, here he is. And the leader that he is, and, and now he's fathered a son by a prostitute. Gilead had a wife, Gilead had other children, and Gilead was determined to bring Jephthah into his home and raise him like his son. By the way, think about how that would be in real life. Hey, daddy's home, but now daddy's going to bring this other son into the house that we're going to have to call brother, that Gilead's wife's going to have to call son out of a adulterous relationship that he had. And so obviously they hated him to the point where eventually they drove him out and he went and became basically like a villain or a vandal living in the wilderness and the mountains and became a pretty valiant man, a man of valor, the Bible says, a warlike man. And so he's there and eventually it got to be too much for the children of Israel with the Ammonites. So they came to him and said, you know, we need you to, to come. We need you to be the guy uh, to deliver us out and and by the way i love in chapter 11 verses 4 on down that how god allowed us to see jephthah's response which had been like any of our response like you really want me now now's when you want me and so we asked god for a sign and god gave him the signs that he would have victory and and then you see jephthah getting assurance from god that he's going to have the victory but jephthah in a moment of being emotional jephthah in a moment of almost one-upping the lord so to speak says, well, you've already given the victory, but if you give the victory, I'm going to make a vow to you, God, something I'm going to do. And God didn't ask that. God didn't require it. But he says, God, what I'll do, whatever comes out of my tent, which he was probably thinking would be some type of animal, a lamb, a goat, or something, that when I return from the victory, whatever comes out of the tent, I will offer that as a sacrifice to you. 
Well, God gives the victory to Jephthah, of course, and as Jephthah's riding home in victory, he looks up, and guess what comes out of the tent? His only daughter. His only daughter comes running out, singing, dancing, celebrating that her dad had led them to victory. And it says that Jephthah's heart, he was just smoked. He was just humbled. And as much cheer as he had in victory, he has more than that in sorrow. And his daughter now is like, what have you vowed? And by the way, Dad, whatever you have vowed to God, I will honor it. By the way, there's something to be said there with that. That, that had to be teaching and, up, and bringing up those who honor the things that have been done. Remember, this wasn't her vow. It was his vow. And there's a lot of discrepancy here. Some people believe that Jephthah did actually offer his daughter. Um, I personally, this is, this is my opinion. I don't believe that he actually offered his daughter as a human sacrifice because nowhere in Scripture does God validate human sacrifice. Even with Abraham and Isaac, God stopped him. It said, I just want to see if you trust me. If you read on in the passage, it talks about that, that she was a virgin. She didn't know a man. And I believe it talks about she goes on to give her life to the service of the Lord in the temple and that she never knows a man and that she never gets married, never has a husband, never has kids, which is obviously a huge thing in those days to, to be married, to have children, to do those things. But she gives herself over to that celibate life to, to serve the Lord and to be, and be used in that way. So, either way you feel about that, I understand. That's just kind of the way I feel. And so, we come to chapter 12. In chapter 12, and I know I gave you a lot of info there, chapter 12, I really believe, and the reason I couldn't pass it up, because I really believe this is where a lot of us are living at today. And I got the board here, and I'm going to write some stuff on it. But let me ask you a question. Do you have any conflict in your life? You say, Phil, that's about the dumbest question I've heard. Do you have any conflict in your life? Let me ask, what do you do when conflict arises in your life? And I'm going to put down two things that you should ask yourself whenever you find yourself in conflict, whether it's something that has bothered you, whether it's something that was undue, unnecessary, or whether it's something that's because of your own doing and you're, you're, you're reaping it. But the two things I want us to ask, ask ourselves tonight as we look at this passage is this, because Jephthah just found himself in some serious, undue, unnecessary conflict. I want you to ask you this question. Number one, what is at stake? And number two, what is in your heart? So, talking about disagreements and conflicts, they can be complicated. They're simple, by the way. Everyone would make sense of it. And there wouldn't even be conflicts to start with. But, you know, I think we all deal with conflicts, whether in our home, with our spouses, with our children, in different ways. We have conflict. And, and by the way, there's some things that we can take note of is that when these disagreements happen, when these conflicts happen, if you're not careful, it goes from something small to something worse. I, I wonder how many of you have ever had this scenario. We've had it in our house. Uh, a, one of our kids do something wrong, and by the time everything dies out, me and Rachel are sitting there arguing back and forth. There's conflict between us, and you want to stop and say, it was a kid, the one that did the thing. <laughs> you know, it's the heathen kid right here. It's your kid, Rachel, that did that. I know none of y'all do that. Hit your kids, my kids, that kind of thing. But what started out to be something else ends up leading to a conflict that doesn't resolve anything, that doesn't bring glory to God, doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. And it makes things worse. The worst comes out in it. And we know when we look at these things here, I want us to see that we're going to look at some unnecessary conflict here in Judges 
chapter number 12. And hopefully we can see the folly of it and, and really learn today. And like I said, the first one I want us to see is this. What is at stake? Because Jephthah, here he is. He has got the victory. I mean, the author of this book, which I believe it is Samuel, wraps up the aftermath of Jephthah's great victory and, and the valley made uh, and everything with his daughter. And he wraps it up by recounting a very sad event in history. The men of Ephraim, which by the way, understand this, the men of Ephraim are of the tribe of Ephraim. So the children of Gilead and the tribe of Ephraim, they're the same people. They're all underneath the children of Israel. They're different tribes, but they're, but they're of the same people. They were both oppressed by the Ammonites. So these men of Ephraim made an uncalled-for accusation against Jephthah. I don't know if you saw this. Let's look at chapter 1 again. They, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. It said, The men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And didst not call us to go with thee? So they're all upset because they're like, Jephthah, you went out to fight against the Ammonites. You didn't call for us to help. You did all this on your own. And why didn't you call us? And I like Jephthah. Jephthah wants to set the record straight. If you see in verse 2, he says, And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife, and the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. So Jephthah looks at him and says, Hey man, I did. I did call you. Nobody responded. He says, so I risked my life and the life of my men that followed me and, and to fight against the enemies. And guess what? The Lord gave us victory. He goes on to say the end of verse number, uh, number three. He says, why have you come up to fight me? God has given you and us, you and I both victory over our enemy and you're so unhappy. Why are you wanting to fight me? And why are you so unhappy? And that's the million dollar question. He says, why are you picking this fight? The war is over. Our enemy's been defeated. We've gotten our freedom. He's asking this question that's number one on our list. What is at stake with this conflict? And I think a lot of times we need to remember that when we decide to go into conflict or somebody comes at us with conflict, the way we act, the way we respond, we need to think to ourselves, what's at stake here? What's at stake in this argument? See, the Ephraimites were so unhappy they just didn't complain about not being involved. Do you see what they said at the end of verse number 1? He says, We will burn thy house upon thee with fire. He said, Because you didn't ask us to come, we're so mad, they're so enraged in this conflict, they said, We're going to burn down your house and kill your entire family. Now, all this sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it, to us? You know what? Conflict usually looks senseless to the onlookers. To those on the outside... The conflict usually looks dumb and ridiculous, but not to those of the conflicting parties, not to those that are involved in it. See, because here's something I want you to remember underneath what, uh, underneath what is at stake. The Ephraimites have forgotten who their real enemy is and who are they really fighting against. See, to answer the question, what is at stake, the answer to that is nothing. Nothing's at stake. What is the Ephraimites going to win by this conflict with Jephthah? Nothing. They've already gotten victory. The battle's over. They've gotten it. And let's just be honest. A lot of our conflict is over nothing, over stupid things that don't matter, that have no effect. And if we're not careful, 
we become like the Ephraimites and we need to remember who is their real enemy. You know, I was mentioning earlier about getting into an argument, you know, with your wife or with your husband over something that kids do. You know, sometimes you look and say, wait a minute, we're not the enemy. Can I, can I tell you something? Even your kid that did the wrong thing is not the enemy. You know who the enemy is. The, the enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The enemy is the sin nature that indwells that child. You know, when you're on your job and there's conflict when your job, your enemy is probably not your coworker. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is that sin nature that desires to pull you away from God, that desires you to get in the flesh and to please your flesh. That's what the real enemy is. It's not that. Can I tell you, whenever marriages fall apart, the enemy is not the other spouse. The enemy is Satan that wants to defeat your home and defeat you and take your peace and joy out of your life. Let me ask you, when you say remember who your enemy is, what are you fighting for? And when you decide to get in this conflict and stay in this conflict, is it worth it? Because why a lot of times do we stay in conflicts whether we're right or we're wrong in it? Why do we see it to the end? Why? Because we want to be what? Right. It's correct. We all want to be the one that's right. And that is not what's pleasing to God. It's not the desire to always be right. And when we look at this, we need to distinguish between what and who we are fighting against. God wants us to step back and look at the big picture. He wants us to see that both parties are on the same side. Man, in churches today, there are people that can't stand each other in churches. There's all kinds of arguments, all kinds of whatever. And you know what? When we stop and look at it, we're on the same team. Because why? We're on the same team to glorify God. Can I go ahead and tell you it's already part of number two? But can I tell you what the goal of conflict should be in your life? Well, right on the board here. Ready? Glorify God. You want to know if you're right with God, if you sinned or didn't sin, in dealing with the conflict in your life. Answer this question. In the way that I handled myself, in the things that I said and didn't say, in the mannerisms in which I did it, did it bring glory to God or did it make me feel better about being right? These Ephraimites didn't even participate in the war. The Gileadites did and God gave the victory. They had a common enemy and that enemy had been defeated. That war was successful and the only thing left to do was to celebrate. The Ephraimites should have been over there celebrating with Jephthah. Something more valuable than the war is at stake now. Because they're so determined. They're so determined. To say their peace. You know what's at stake now? Their relationship with Jephthah and the children of Gilead. They broke the unity when they decided to fight against their own. I'll put it this way. You can win the argument and lose a friend. You can win the argument and hurt your spouse. You can win the court case and lose your family. The issue may be settled, but something is broken that may not be able to be repaired. And can I tell you something I learned a long time ago that I heard from somebody? I don't always practice it, but I've heard a long time ago. I think it's, I think it's great. It's all right sometimes to be right and be quiet. 
it's all right sometimes to be right and be quiet. Some things, I'm not saying there's big major sin things that you got to really focus on, but I mean, you know, sometimes in our life, the best thing we can do, even though we're right, is to be quiet. What does the Bible say about Christ? And as a lamb done before his shears, he opened out his mouth, neither was there guile found in his mouth. And can I tell you where this conflict eventually led? It resulted in these two groups fighting each other. And if you look at the end of verse number, uh, end of verse number seven, I'm sorry, verse number six, forty-two thousand Ephraimites died unnecessarily. Forty-two thousand. You say, well, Phil, my conflict doesn't bring about death like that. Yeah, it may not bring into physical death, but it might be the death of a relationship. It might be the death of a testimony. It might be death of the opportunity to influence someone else. And I really don't know which was the greater pain, the war against the Ammonites or fighting against their own people. Let me ask you a question. Is the fight against Satan or the fight we see among fellow Christians, which one grieves you more? Which one grieves you more? So number one, we see what is at stake. Number two, the second question is this. We need to ask ourselves in conflict, what is happening in my heart? When this conflict comes, I tell you, emotions, everything starts driving you, building up in you. What is happening in your heart? Why are these men of Ephraim so unhappy? What is really driving them? It's obviously not a doctrinal difference. It's got nothing to do with their belief in God or faith issue. It's not even a military concern. Because the war's already been fought and already been won. The reason was of their unhappiness because they didn't feel like they were called to the fight they didn't feel like they were involved and Jephthah already explained that and disagreed with them in the verses down below and for that the way they felt they said I'm going to burn your house down and kill your family and can I tell you the Ephraimites sat on the sidelines the whole time after the war is over they start criticizing the people with vengeance and by the way this isn't the first time the Ephraimites have been on the sideline you see it in Judges chapter 8 verse 1 if you remember Gideon, Gideon with the 300, God gave a great victory against the Midianites. And in chapter 8, it talks about their faint yet pursuing down in verse 4. But in verse 1 of, of Judges 8, it says that he went and the Ephraimites would not help. They complained, they they grumbled, they did that. You know what, they, they started complaining again. This wasn't the first time the Ephraimites complained. You know what that tells me? There's people in life that that's all they're going to do is be critical and they love conflict and drama. Anybody here know anybody that loves conflict and drama? <laughs> yeah. You say, Brother Phil, I don't do well in dealing with conflict and drama. Then you need to stay away from those people. But here's the honest truth. None of us really do great in dealing with conflict. But you need to understand something. Just like the Ephraimites, that was the way they were. They always loved conflict. There's going to be people in your life that is their desire. They look like they have no happiness, but they love conflict conflict. You know why they love conflict? Because they're unhappy. You know why they're unhappy? Their joy is not in the Lord. Their joy is in people. Their joy is in things. Their joy is in success. Their joy is in whatever else is done. It is not the right kind of heart. That's not what should be happening in your heart. So, what was wrong with these Ephraim Knights? Same thing that can be wrong with us. If what's in my heart is wrong, what comes out of my mouth will be worse. You know what was in the heart of those Ephraimites? Three things. I'm going to write them down here. Ready? 
pride, ego, self-importance. Pride, ego, self-importance. If in my heart, when I go into conflict, is my pride hurt, is my ego wanting to be fed, and do I have to feel like I'm important enough and I had enough attention and glory given to me, if those things are in my heart, woo, not the right thing's going to come out of my mouth. The Bible says, For out of the, out of the heart the mouth speaketh. These Ephraimites wanted to share of the glory. They wanted to claim credit for success. They wanted to stay in the victory. They're the ones showing up going, Yeah, yeah, look what I did. Look what I did. But they didn't do anything. Can I tell you, though, what pride, ego, and self-importance is? It's a dissatisfaction. And you know where this dissatisfaction comes from? It comes from the flesh. The flesh feeds the ego. Hey, I wonder if Jephthah would have lost the war with those Ephraim knights been there. Hmm, don't think so. The Ephraimites were only brave after the victory. They picked the fight after the real fight was over. They were more eager to fight their brothers than they were their enemies. Put this down too underneath what is happening in your heart. In any conflict, you need to watch for this main thing. Everyone has this in every conflict. Watch what? The motivation. This goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Let me write this on the board. Your motivation in every conflict ought to what? See it here? To bring glory to God. If you notice, I put the word motivation in between ego, pride, self-importance, and glory to God. The motivation in your heart in conflict will either drive you to restore your pride, feed your ego, to feel more important and more needed, or you just say, what can I do in the midst of this conflict to bring glory to God? In your conflicts this week, which one of these two won? What was your motivation? Was it an inflated ego? Was it a sense of self-importance? Or it was, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like this. God, I might have been wrong in this, but whatever, God, I want to bring glory to you. Was it that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? So what can we do? You say, Phil, okay, I'm in conflict. I'm in dealing with things. I want to have the right kind of motivation in my heart. What do I do? What can I do when I find myself in conflict to make sure I have the right kind of heart? Glad you asked. Three things underneath it. Ready? I'll make these quick. First, pray like David. You say, what do you mean? We're not even talking about David. Pray like David in Psalm 139. Verses 23 and 24. Pray like David in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I think it's great to see this. I know it's the verses I like to use. But I think it's great when you're in conflict and guarding your heart. Look what it says in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be... Any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, you're in the midst of conflict. You don't feel like it's right. You don't feel like it's justified. You don't feel like this should be happening. Ask yourself, God, 
you search me. Not me search me. Because I will probably look good in my heart and my eyes. But God, you search me. You, God, you know my heart. God, you know my thoughts. And if there's anything wicked, and then only that, God, what? You lead me in the way of everlasting. You know what that means? God, you be the motivation to lead me to glorify you. See, the problem is when I do wrong in conflict, I don't want God to lead. I want to justify myself. Can I be honest with you? We can all be blinded to our own faults and desires. We all have blind spots. I thought about doing this tonight, and I just thought about it for a faint second. I thought about saying, tell me something about me that you guys see as a failure in my life, some flaws in my life, some shortcomings in my life, some things that maybe are blind spots that I don't recognize and see. But then I thought, that's probably not a good idea <laughs> to do. But we all can be blinded by our own faults and our own flaws. But the Lord will guide us to see the big picture if we get his perspective on things. So pray like David. Secondly, let the truth direct, not your ego. When you're in conflict and you need to watch the motivation of your heart, let the truth direct, not your ego. Ephraim's accusation is foolish because there's no benefit at all to it. Nothing good could come out of what they were doing. The battle was over. There was nothing good that could come out of this. The only thing that could come out of it was what? Pain and destruction. Can I tell you, in most conflicts, you want to know the only thing that's going to happen? The only thing that's going to benefit? If someone's going to be in pain, if not both people, and destruction, things are going to be ruined. Relationships are going to be ruined. Testimonies are going to be ruined. Influence is going to be ruined. You need to think about that. Mom, Dad, think about that driving down the road. And you get into it about something, and your kids are sitting there listening to you. And ask yourself the question, what good can come through of this right here, right now in this situation? Is it going to be pain and destruction, or will it bring glory to God? Can I tell you, words of the flesh can only lead to destruction. Words we say when we're in the flesh only lead to destruction. They feed our ego. Man, I really wish in talking about this idea of letting truth, the idea is unity, we don't have time. I encourage you, talking about unity, read, if you get a chance, Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, and also verses 14 through 16. Man, Great, great, great verses. They're talking about unity. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but each one should look to esteem and to serve one another. Man, great, great verses on unity. I wish we would take time to look at it tonight. We're just out of time. Because like they said, they're very grateful they want to... They got a birthday cake for me down there, and I don't want to mess up what they got set. <laughs> so, um, but Philippians 2, verses 2 through 5, and then verses 14 through 16... Great verses on unity and how you can have an active part in it. But also, also with that is Psalm 133. Psalm 133, verse number 1. David says, how good and how pleasant it is that the brethren dwell together in unity. Man, it's great. How beautiful, how blessed, how pleasant it is. So we see, pray like David in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. We see, let the truth direct, not your ego. Then thirdly, lastly, I want to see this. What can we do in conflict? Don't react in emotions. Don't react 
and emotions. Look at the next part of the, the chapter here. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Okay, so they've already said, we're going to burn your house down. You didn't do what you're supposed to. You didn't invite us. And so in verse 4, Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim with the men of Gilead. And the men of Gilead smote them. And because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and the Manassites. And the Gileads took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when the Ephraimites were escaped, said, let me go over that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? And if he said, Nay, then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and they fell at the time of the Ephraimites, 40 and 2,000. Okay, I know I gave you a lot of info there, okay? But talking about don't react in emotions. I'm telling you, if I'm Jephthah and I'm falsely accused, I hate that. But you imagine Jephthah, he's a mighty man of valor, and they said, not only that, we're, we're lying about you, we're raising this conflict, now we're going to kill your family, we're going to burn your house down. Now, Jephthah reacted in emotions. Did he have a choice? Well, he, he could have made peace, and he could have brushed off those criticisms. That, that would have been hard. You know, that would have been hard. Because these Ephraimites look pretty aggressive. By the way, though, I want to tell you this. They led to where Jephthah and the Gileadites went to battle against the Ephraimites. I really don't see an issue with that. Because it's one thing to defend yourself. Where I think Jephthah went wrong, it's in this way. It's one thing to defend yourself. It's quite another thing after you have the victory, the Ephraimites are on the run, that you go ahead of them and block their passages. And when they're escaping, you in cold blood execute 42,000 of them. See, to understand this, and it's really a neat part of Scripture, the Ephraimites could not say Shibboleth. I, I have a hard time saying that. It probably killed me. Um, but the difference between Shibboleth and Sibboleth is just one letter. It's an H. And the Ephraimites, because of their tongue, their accent, kind of like Northerners and Southerners, they could not say the H. They could not say Shibboleth. They could only say Sibboleth. And that's how they were identified, that they were Ephraimites. And they actually said they took them and executed them. 42,000 of them. This is their own people. The people that just got freedom. So once again, if they started a battle there over, you're, you're going to kill my family, okay, we're going to fight. But when Jephthah saw he had the victory, did he really have to take it another step? Hey, you know what? A lot of times when we're in conflict... And we know we're right, and maybe we know someone else that realized they're wrong. If we're not careful, we'll take that next step just to crush them. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you this. Let me bring up your past here. Let me hurt you right here. Let me hurt you emotionally right here. Let me say this that'll ring in your ears and make you feel like nothing. It's one thing for him to defend himself. Another thing for him to stand there and cold-bloodedly execute them. Can I tell you tonight, don't react in criticism. Choose to response with patience, with grace, with wisdom. You say, Brother Phil, it's like me with a, as, as a parent, and I've had to do this, and I'm wrong in this. You say, Brother Phil, if I don't discipline my kids when I'm angry, then I'll never discipline them. You might be catching on. 
and the catch and own part is not not discipline them is this when I'm angry and a lot of times I'm not level headed and I'm not seeking to glorify God I'm trying to not I'm trying to get rid of this embarrassment of my kids not doing what I told them they should do react in emotions to think about it calmly think what should I do and go about it the right way discipline the right way I would love to tell you I've done that all the time I have not to react with patience with grace with wisdom Chances are we'll do wrong when we react to criticism, no matter how unjustifiable. And if they're justifiable and we act in the right way, we can humble ourselves, listen, and learn, and we're better off for it. And if it's not justifiable, man, we should just let it roll off of us the best way that we can. Someone once said this, we must die to both praise and to criticism. Deflect both to God. It's about His grace and His glory. Now close with this. The Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will pay in Romans 12, 19. Be careful. God is the perfect judge. You are not. When people criticize you, when people get in conflict with you, give it to the Lord. Let Him be the perfect judge. Now I think the last verse, verse 7, is important. If you look in verse 7, it says, And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Alright, you want to see something? Every other judge, there's a mention to peace brought during their reign. There is no mention of peace during Jephthah's time. It's because Jephthah did not handle conflict right. This is the first time in a book, in this book, that there's no mention of peace while this guy reigned. Also, another interesting thing of this with Jephthah. Jephthah is the only judge up to this point that ruled shorter than the period of time that his people were oppressed. He reigned for six years, or he judged for six years. That was shorter than the time of they were actually oppressed by the children of Ammon. That's the first time. You know why? I believe it's because he didn't know how to deal with conflict. The writer here wants us to see that God's deliverance was punctured by human foolishness and arrogance when it comes to dealing with conflict. Can I tell you, God has shown grace, but men could not fully enjoy that blessing because there's sinful ways. And if we're not careful, we will let conflict and let conflict treated the wrong way rob us of glorifying God. Instead, we'll look to glorify ourselves. Thank you for being here tonight.